Well, good morning, everybody. Oh, today is not like yesterday, is it? A little bit more rainy. Pastor Joe's getting his mask stuck in his microphone. Everything's just wonderful this morning. But we did. We had, oh, it was such a fun time yesterday. We had such a great time watching all these folks come in and and hunt for eggs and play on the playground. It almost looked like a normal day. It almost looked like we were getting a little bit back to normal, and it was just so wonderful to see. And I want to thank again everybody who was involved with uh, making the planning. Uh, Tanya, for, for even just bringing it to our attention that, uh, that there might not be an Easter Berlin this year. For uh, Sarah, for just kind of pulling everything together and making the phone calls and whipping you guys into donating eggs and all of those things. It was really uh, just a really phenomenal thing to see yesterday. And that leads us to today. Today is the last Sunday of Lent. And of course, we have learned over the last several weeks that Lent is that time when Christians around the world uh, do things like fasting and they give up things for Lent. And we've heard about some of the things that we give up. We pray And we anticipate the coming of Jesus Christ. We anticipate his death. We anticipate his resurrection three days later. And this is traditionally, starting today, known in the church circles as Holy Week. Um, And we start that today with uh, Palm Sunday, which thank you, uh, Miss Sarah, for that wonderful story this morning. And we move through the week, and this is the last week. uh, We commemorate the week that Jesus uh, went into Jerusalem for the sole purpose of dying on a cross. And just want to remind you of a couple of things that we're doing this week. On Thursday at 7 o'clock, we're going to be holding a foot washing and communion service. And on, on Friday, Good Friday, we're going to hold a service again at 7 o'clock. And then, of course, our Easter service is next Sunday. I pray that we will be able to see a lot of you out for at least some of those services But for the last several weeks, we have explored why Jesus came. Why did Jesus ride into Jerusalem on that donkey? Why did he uh, teach and preach? Why did he allow himself to be killed on a cross for charges that were false? They weren't even true charges. And we found out through this Lent season how Jesus came because humanity had disobeyed God. Humanity had turned its back on God and how God has been working to get us back ever since. He wants to rescue us from that enemy, Satan. And this morning we're going to look at a day in the life of Jesus. Just an ordinary day, something that we read in the scripture. We're not going to talk about Palm Sunday. We're just going to talk about a different day. And we're going to talk about uh, this day and kind of what it meant as far as this battle that we've been talking about. But let me give you a little background first. Jesus is the Son of God. And God created all things, including humanity. Humanity turned its back on God. We used to live in a perfect relationship with Him. Then we decided that maybe we wanted to be God ourselves. We disobeyed the one commandment and broke that relationship. And God the Father and God the Son made a plan. He made a plan to restore that broken relationship. 
And that plan had at its center the Son of God leaving his home, emptying himself of everything that made him God, and becoming one of the human beings who had turned their backs on the Father. And Jesus came from his home to earth. He was born of a virgin. She was engaged to be married to a man, and they were thinking about getting a divorce. Angel came and told them, it's okay. The child that you're going to bear is the Son of God. And these two parents were chosen to care for this child, to protect him, to bring him up in the way that he should go. And Jesus lived with this family, with his mother and his father, for about 30 years. The family lived in a town called Nazareth. And just before this day that we're going to be talking about, Jesus was teaching in a synagogue in his hometown. And he said some things that some people didn't like. Uh, never heard that before as a preacher. Never heard that somebody didn't like something that I said. But Jesus was obviously saying some things that other people didn't like. And they wanted to kill him for it. They actually kind of drove him to a cliff at the edge of town and were going to throw him over. And Jesus escaped and left. And that's where we kind of pick up with him. He was about 30 years old. He began his ministry. And we catch up with Jesus in the book of Luke, chapter 14, verses 14 and 15. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Jesus had begun to get the attention of the people around him. They loved him in Galilee. They loved him for his teachings. They loved him for all of the things that he said in the synagogues. But that's not what I want us to take away from this passage. Yes, Jesus was becoming what we might think of as famous. Jesus was becoming a little bit of a celebrity for all of the things that he was doing. But that's not what, what, what I want to look at here. What I want to look at here is the, the, the reason that Jesus was affecting all of these people in such a, an incredible way. You see, right before this, Jesus had been led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, and he had been tempted by Satan, the enemy, the, the, the one who had caused humanity to turn their backs on God through his temptation. And Jesus had just spent 40 days and 40 nights without eating, without drinking, and the entire time he was being tempted by Satan to turn his back on God's plan. And we think, well, of course Jesus wouldn't turn his back on God's plan. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God. But we have to remember that Jesus had emptied himself completely. Everything that he was doing, he was doing in a way that we human beings have to do. So when he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, he had to obey the Spirit. He had to be obedient to that call to go out and face Satan for 40 days and for 40 nights. There wasn't some kind of miraculous, oh, I'm God, it's not going to be any big deal. And that's important because 
later in uh, the Bible, in the book of Romans, we read that Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, except without sin. And what we sometimes don't realize is that Jesus had to choose not to sin as a human being. But see, there was one thing that Jesus relied on that a lot of us human beings don't rely on. Jesus relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus obeyed the leading of the Holy Spirit. And he went into the wilderness, and he was tempted, and he resisted the temptations of Satan, and then he walked out of the wilderness. And we are told that he returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit filled him with power. And this is another thing that sometimes we forget. Elsewhere in the Bible, it tells us that same Holy Spirit that filled Jesus fills us when we are obedient to His commandments, when we are obedient to God the Father, God the Son, and we follow the leading of God the Holy Spirit. The things that we read in the Gospels Yes, Jesus was filled with power, but he had to be filled with power as a human being. He didn't come to earth filled with this power. He didn't come to earth as this superman kind of being. He had to be obedient to the will of God the Father all the time. That's the most important part of this passage. Not that Jesus was glorified. Not that he was famous. Not that he was giving good teaching. But that he came in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he was obedient. And we're going to take a look at one day in the life of Jesus. Jesus went to this town called Capernaum which sits on the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. So if you ever look at a map, you'll see this big kind of sea in the middle of uh, Israel. And this Sea of Galilee kind of is a little egg-like, actually. Um, and right kind of up, up at the top is Capernaum. And this is kind of where Jesus set up his base of operations. This is where Jesus spent most of his time. Any time that he would go out to another uh, town, another city, Eventually, he would come back to Capernaum. That's where Peter's uh, wife lived, Peter's family lived. And he kind of set up his base of operations there. And we're going to read a passage in Luke chapter 4 this morning that tells of one day in the life of Jesus. And I want you to pay really close attention to this day because we're going to witness Jesus in one day battling the enemy and he's going to do it in a couple of different ways. He's going to do it through teaching. He's going to do it through healing. And he's going to show compassion and love, the love of God the Father in this one day. And we're going to see how he does all of this through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're starting in Luke chapter 4, verse 31. If you have your Bible, you can turn to that. If you have your Bible app, you can click to that. But we're starting in Luke chapter 4, and we're in verse 31. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished by his teaching, for his word possessed authority. Now, in a previous passage, like I said, we read that it is Jesus' custom to teach in the synagogues. He was a rabbi, so it was his custom to teach. And he taught in Capernaum. 
And we don't really know if anybody in Capernaum had heard much about Jesus before he came to make his base of operations. Again, we know that Peter lived there, so it's possible that people already knew who he was, but it's also possible that they didn't. And it doesn't really seem like they did, does it, kind of reading this passage, because he goes into the synagogue this first time, and they're astonished by his teaching. Sounds like this is the first Sabbath that Jesus has spent with these people. But they were impressed. The Bible says they were astonished by his teaching for one very, very good reason. His words possessed authority. And apparently, this was something that they weren't used to. Kind of like when we walk into church, we, we hear the pastor every Sunday, and, and, and all of a sudden, maybe sometime, a new person comes in, he's a guest speaker, or he's an evangelist, or something like that, and all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, this guy really knows what he's talking about. What's wrong with our pastor? But Jesus spoke with authority, and I think about those times when I've heard somebody speak, and if you think about some times when you've heard somebody speak, have you ever encountered somebody who just really, like, you felt was a powerful speaker? Like, this person knows what he's talking about? And to me, the most memorable speakers are the ones that, that are deeply knowledgeable about the subject which they're talking about. But more than that, it seems like they have a deep personal experience with the subject that they're talking about. It's not just that they've learned this in a book and now I'm going to go and talk about it. They have lived and experienced the things that they're talking about. And it just makes that topic come more alive and we want to listen, we want to hear more from that person. I think of a speech one time that I, that I had first read and then I had seen performed because this was a speech by a man named Frederick Douglass who lived back in the 1800s during the Civil War. And of course, they didn't have cameras during the Civil War. But I watched a, uh, a couple of different people uh, recite his speech, and I saw one guy, man, and he was incredible. He, it just felt like he had Frederick Douglass kind of running through his veins as he was talking. And the speech that he was, uh, that he was delivering was titled, What to the Slave is the Fourth of July? See, Frederick Douglass was a black man. Frederick Douglass had been a slave. And now Frederick Douglass was a freed man. And he got up and he delivered this speech to a group from the Anti-Slavery Society in Rochester, New York, on July 5th, 1862, the day after the 76th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And he was asked to come and address this group of people. And in his speech, he says that he didn't have a whole lot of time to get ready. So he threw his comments together kind of hastily. He says imperfectly, and I have no idea what he's talking about because when you read this speech, it is, it is a perfect speech. But basically what the audience was going to hear was Frederick Douglass with very little preparation talking off the top of his head about the 4th of July. That was the topic. Talk to us about the 4th of July, Frederick. And he threw some things together, and he got up and he spoke for over an hour. 
to the rapt attention of this group of over 500 people. And he delivered one of the most powerful speeches of all time, and the very first thing that he did in talking about the 4th of July, he talked about the United States as your nation. He didn't talk about the United States as my nation or our nation. His experience was that the United States was the nation of white people. His experience was of being brought over on a boat in chains, sold into slavery, and eventually being able to escape and buy his freedom. But even then, every time that he went someplace, people assumed he was a slave. He would have to show his papers everywhere he went. Yes, I am a free person. I am not a slave. And he refers to the United States as your nation. And he talks about it not being an American celebration, but a white American celebration. He starkly contrasts the white experience with the black experience before telling the audience at the end of his speech that he has hope. That because of people like the people that were sitting there listening to his speech, he has hope that one day the nation would become the United States of America. That it would be united based on who was living there, not the color of their skin. This information, this, this feeling is kind of echoed in another speech that is probably much more familiar to us. I have a dream. We just celebrated Black History Month and we do a lot of activities in, uh, in our schools. I have a dream that one day my black children and your white children will play together and nobody will kill us for it. It's basically the gist of the speech. But I think about this speech. I actually use what to the slave is the 4th of July when I'm, when I'm teaching speech and debate at my school because it's such a powerful speech. And the first thing I tell my students in, in their speech classes is talk about what you know. Because when you talk about what you know, when you talk about what you've experienced, people are going to pay attention because you're going to be excited about that topic. And Jesus here in the synagogue, in Capernaum, this first Sabbath that he's there, speaks from authority. He speaks as one who not only knows the Bible, but is living the Bible, who is having the Bible interpreted for him by the Holy Spirit so that he can teach it with power, so that he can teach it with authority. Jesus spoke by the power of the Holy Spirit. And for the first time, the people who attended synagogue every Sabbath realized that they were hearing and experiencing something greater, something different. Something that maybe they wanted to pay attention to. And we read on in verse 33 of chapter 4. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. If we needed proof 
that Jesus came here to fight Satan? There it is in Luke chapter 4. Satan's ready for Jesus. He's been waiting for thousand years, 1,500 years, however long it's been since the creation. Since the man and the woman first took that apple or that pomegranate or that date or whatever the fruit was that was on the tree of the knowledge, good and evil. Satan sent one of his soldiers into that synagogue. Let that soldier enter into a, a, a human. Enter into a man. And if we read this passage really closely, we see what kind of a fight this was on this day. Satan had his minion walk into the place where God's Word was taught. Where God was worshipped every week. Where people came with the sole purpose of learning about God. Of worshipping God. Of singing about God. And Satan sent his soldier right into those doors. Change the word synagogue to the word church. And maybe we get a clearer idea of what's going on here. If you believe, and I know some people do, if you believe that by sitting in this church on Sunday morning you are immune to the attacks of Satan... And his battle tactics, you are in for a huge surprise. Because this is a war. The enemy doesn't just wait outside for us to come out. The enemy walks through the door. The enemy is ready to fight. And we believe that the church building is is a a safe place, something that's free from the evil that we experience every day. And then we read of somebody walking in the door and blasting away and killing a dozen people as they're worshiping God or as they're sitting there doing a Bible study or they're praying. And it's scary to me how many people sit here on a Sunday morning, not here, here in the church universal, and say, well, that could never happen to us. Because God is in this church. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, filled with God the Holy Spirit, was standing in that synagogue. And that demon came right in and got up into his face. If you sit here and you think that we are immune to Satan's attacks inside this building... Please stop believing that because it is not true. We have here the entire Trinity standing in a synagogue on a Sabbath in Capernaum and Satan coming for a fight. And we read on in verse 35. But Jesus rebuked him saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. Yet another thing that these people who had been to synagogue for however many months, years, have never experienced in their entire lives the power of God to cast out the enemy. 
The power of God to speak the word and say, Satan, get out. Do we have that power today? Do we have people who are so filled with the Holy Spirit, who are so obedient to the will of God that they could speak to a demon? and have it leave. That they could speak to Satan and say, not in here. The enemy had infiltrated the house of God. He stood up and he mocked God openly in front of everybody. That demon wanted to put fear into all of the people. That demon wanted to show the people that Jesus had nothing over Satan. Jesus can't do anything. I'm standing right here, Jesus. You think you're going to destroy me? And Jesus said, get out. And the demon got out. That demon had very little power. Jesus had the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the battle that Jesus is fighting. And again, the people, they're amazed. <laughs> They've likely experienced these unclean spirits before in their town, in their homes, maybe even in the synagogue. But they've never seen anyone speak to a demon and have the demon leave. And they are astonished. They are amazed. To use a word that I don't use very often, they thought it was awesome. Because it was. This was the awesome power of God protecting His people while they worshipped in His house. Jesus spoke through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus acted through the power of the Holy Spirit. He showed the people and He showed His disciples that powerful words are impressive, yes. Speaking with authority is impressive, yes. But if we don't back up our teaching with action, things just kind of fall apart. Because action is essential. Action is what Jesus came to do. And according to Luke, reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. You imagine leaving this church and going out into East Berlin and Abbottstown and Dillsburg and any place else that you're going today, and being so excited about something that you've seen or something that you've heard that you can't help but walk up to people and tell them, you have no idea what just happened. i got to tell you about this Jesus. i got to tell you about this person who speaks with authority, who acts with authority. i got to tell you. And that's what these people were doing. Finally, after about the two-hour or so service that they had in the synagogue every Sabbath, Jesus left, and he went to Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house. And we're in verse 38 in chapter 4, and he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. The people in the house asked Jesus for help. 
And he stood over her and rebuked the fever. And it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Just like Jesus rebuked the demon in the synagogue, Jesus rebuked the fever in Simon's mother-in-law. And today we don't really think of a fever as something to rebuke, do we? We think of a fever as something to pop a couple of ibuprofen and lay down for a while until we feel better. In fact, when we hear about people that talk about not taking medicine or not going to doctors, we think they're nuts. Our daughter has a high fever. Well, what have you done for it? We rebuked it. You're laughing because you think it sounds nuts. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't believe that there is anything unbiblical about seeking medical help. I, just, I don't think there's anything unbiblical about taking medicine. I take medicine myself. Jesus even said it is not those who are well that need a physician, but those who are sick. He acknowledged that people go to doctors. People get medicine. But I also don't believe that a reliance on prayer for healing is unbiblical. It's there in the Bible. The Bible calls on us. In the book of James, it says... Call on the elders of the church when you're sick and have them come and anoint your head with oil and pray over you and you will be healed. And we don't have time to get into that whole discussion this morning, but what we must remember is this. It was when humanity disobeyed God, when humanity ate the fruit of that tree, that sickness entered the world in the first place. It was a result of the disobedience of God, it was the result of acting on the temptation of the enemy. And we got to believe that God can do something about it. And when Jesus rebuked this woman's fever, he was giving the disciples another example of this battle. Instead of fighting demons, now he's fighting sickness. Something else that is a result of disobedience to God, of this broken relationship. He rebuked it. He said, sickness, that evil that entered the world at the start of this war has no place in this house. Get out of that woman and leave. And it did. And she got up right away and she started serving them. Something that she apparently loved to do. She wanted to serve them lunch. They'd just been at the synagogue for two hours. They were hungry. And she got up and she served them. She went along as if she had never been sick. And Jesus and his disciples were able to gather together in that house. None of the rest of them got sick. And they were able to share a meal together. And they spent the rest of the day there. And then nighttime came. And we see that Jesus' day is not finished yet. The reading in verse 40 of Luke chapter 4, now one was, when the sun was setting all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. This was a very long day of battle for Jesus. He started in the synagogue teaching, and then he's casting out a demon, then he's rebuking a fever. Now he's laying his hands on everybody who comes who is sick. And we read that he laid his hands on everyone. Every person 
who was sick. I'm not leaving anybody behind on this battlefield. In this battle, everybody gets up, everybody goes home. And we don't get an indication that Jesus got any sleep that night. What we do get an indication of is that the population of Capernaum, if we, if we do some research, about 1,500 people in Capernaum. And everybody was bringing their sick people. And Jesus was praying for everyone. And Jesus was healing everyone. And Jesus was casting out demons from everyone. Oh, and by the way, that word that started going around the towns, probably some other people came into Capernaum. And some other people were being healed. And Jesus worked until everyone went home well. Finally, we read in Luke 4, starting in verse 42, and when, the, when, when it was day, 24 hours later, he departed and went into a desolate place. And to me, this is the most telling verse about Jesus, at least at this time. It's especially telling for anybody who does ministry. Jesus needed a break. Jesus needed to be alone. We can guess that Jesus might have been exhausted after this day. He certainly was finished peopling, as my wife calls it, when she has to be around people for a long time. And he went off to a desolate place. The word desolate here means deserted, lonely, isolated. Jesus needed to get away from people. And in the book of Mark, this entire story almost word for word is there. But Mark adds, and he prayed. Not only did Jesus need to get away from people, he needed time with God. He needed time with the Father. He needed time to pray. And so often I encounter people who tell me that they're doing God's work. And I love it. I'm doing God's work. Pastors, lay leaders, volunteers, all of these people. And I hear it over and over. I can't take a break. If I, if I take a break, things are going to fall apart. Things are going to fall by the wayside. I've got to do it or nobody else is going to do it. And I hear that over and over again. And if you have ever said this to yourself, if you have ever heard someone else say this to you, let me give you just one word to remember that you can say to yourself or that you can say to the other person. Malarkey. All right, some of you don't like malarkey. You're triggered by malarkey. How about baloney? If you're doing God's work, God will give you the power to do it. He will. But if you walk around thinking, I can't take a break, there's too much to do, that's not coming from doing God's work. That's coming from a place of pride. And I should know, because I used to be that way, and Wendy will tell you. I used to believe that I had to make every phone call, do every visitation, attend every conference, preach every sermon, go to kids' baseball games and football games and plays and dance recitals and all of these things for the kids in the church. I felt like I had to be there. And if I wasn't there, I was falling down on the job. I wasn't doing God's work. And I got things completely backwards. When we read Jesus' words, when we read Jesus' life, when we read a day in the life, I had gotten things backwards. I worked in isolation. I acted like I was the only one that could do what I was doing. And then I went out and tried to do all of these things. 
And every time I went out to try to do one of these things and I was exhausted and I was tired, I was not the person that needed to be there. And I do want to say when I came to morning hour chapel, I couldn't imagine being a part-time pastor. I'm thinking, I'm still going to be working 70, 80 hours a week. But I don't. I have a second job. I work that. I have a family. I spend time with them. What I found when I came here is a church that was already relying on the Holy Spirit. I found a church that was already doing ministry the way that Jesus meant for ministry to be done. People sharing responsibility. People delegating things to other people. And it's not just, I I have to do this by myself. When Tanya brought me the information about Easter Berlin, and we were talking back and forth, and I said, is this something you think you can do? She said, no. (laughs) She did. She said, I can't do it. At least I can't do it by myself. And she asked for help. And Sarah stepped up. And Sarah found a whole bunch of helpers, didn't she? Morning Hour Chapel had like 20 or so people at that event yesterday helping out. Not to mention the people that were donating eggs and stuffing eggs and putting up signs and making flyers and and postcards and things like that. One of the things I love about this congregation, this particular family of Christ, is that we know how to step up and we know how to help. And most importantly, we know how to say, you need a break. Let me take this one for a week or for a month. You go take a break. Just be. Maybe you can find that time to get up in the morning and read your Bible and pray for a while. Maybe you can take that time to be with your family. Maybe you can take that time to recharge. That's what Jesus' ministry is about. It is about His people doing His work through the power of the Holy Spirit and recognizing when we need help. Recognizing when we need a break. And I am so thankful that we do ministry like that here because sometimes the warrior, the fighter, the one that's fighting the battles needs a break. They need to go back to the... the, camp and have a little R&R. We'll bring somebody else out for a while. About 24 hours after Jesus started teaching in the synagogue, he needed a break. It was a long day. And we read, starting at the end of verse 42, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. They wanted to keep Jesus for themselves. They didn't want Jesus to leave. Maybe because they didn't know if they could have the power that Jesus had to rebuke the demons, to heal the sick. Maybe they were scared. But Jesus had to go and He had to teach. But one of the things that Jesus did before he left this earth after his resurrection is he told people to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to fill them. And when the power of the Holy Spirit fills us, we 
can, if it is God's will, do the same things that Jesus does. We can heal the sick with a word. We can cast out a demon with a word. But even if we can't do those things, we can care for the sick. We can feed the hungry. We can bring in the orphan and the widow and take care of them through the power of the Holy Spirit. This week on Thursday and Friday night, we're going to see the end of the battle between the two trees and we're going to learn how Jesus' purpose to preach the good news of the kingdom of God ultimately led to betrayal and hatred and death. For Jesus, I suppose that was the ultimate day in His life. I hope you're going to be able to join us. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You so much. We thank You for blessings. We thank You for the things that You are doing through this church community and through the communities, uh, the church communities throughout this area, throughout the country, throughout the world. People who are relying on the Holy Spirit to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that you would daily renew our filling of the Holy Spirit, that you would give us the power that we need, and that you would also have the Holy Spirit tell us when we need a break, when we need to rest, when we need to rely on others. Because we know that's what your son did. He didn't think he had to do it all himself. Father, thank you so much for the blessing that was yesterday with Easter Berlin. I ask that you would touch all of the families that were there. I ask that you would be glorified through our efforts. We thank you, Father, and we pray that you would Bring to remembrance the life of Jesus, especially this week. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take a look at what Jesus expects from us on Thursday night and Friday night at 7 o'clock this week. We pray that you can make it out. In the meantime, as Jesus did with his disciples, so I do with this congregation, and I send you out in the power of the Holy Spirit to share the gospel with everyone who encounters you. God bless you.